When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh! Wonderful shot by Lennox Lewis! A right hand by Holyfield! By Boston Douglas! Look at this! He's knocked by Tyson down for the first time in his career! But unfortunately, it'll never happen. Front! Say there seems an element of genuine hate between these two Ambrose. For sure. I don't hate the man. Just imagine if you bought a ticket. Stop it, Frank. You can stop it any time. Castillo's in trouble. Weak steps in. And the fight is over. Oh! Welcome back, Fire fans, to the Legendary Nights After Show. I'm Sean, and I'm joined, as always, by Luca for the After Show. I'm excited to talk about the tale of Mike Tyson and Frank Bruno, a fight which was quite personal to me. If you've heard the show, you'll know why it was quite personal to me, but we'll talk about it in this episode of, as to why it's so nostalgic, why it's such a moment in time for me on a personal level, but also we'll get to dissect the tale of what went down at both points of both fights. So, Luki, I'm going to hand this over to you because I'm really interested to know how you have perceived not only the episode, but the whole tale around these two fighters and how they were at one moment in time so so synonymous with each other. Yeah, I mean, to me, Frank Bruno was one of these guys where it was like I never understood how big he was in the U.K., because I was in America, but I knew he was massive. And obviously Tyson was like one of my spiritual boxing heroes growing up. Like as I've told, and like my friend Lightning Lopez has the same story. It's like a very universal story. If you felt like you didn't fit in at school, you wished Mike Tyson was your friend to just show up at school with you. He was beyond a boxer. He was like the hero of the outsider, that the misfit. And what I remember about this fight was, and I my, my timeline... I listened to the show and I'm going on my head. 
It was right around the time of McNeely. And then he fought a guy named Buster, but it wasn't Buster Douglas, but it was almost like they were trying to find a Buster. It was like Buster Mathis or something. And they were trying to kind of do these niche Tyson fights. And then when uh, Frank Bruno came around, I remember it reminded me of one of my old favorite Tyson fights, Bone Crusher Smith, when Tyson fought a guy with a cool nickname. And for me, it was like one of these moments where it was like, okay, is the old Mike coming back? So that's my introduction. As a younger person, Tyson being one of my favorite fighters, if not my favorite fighter as a young person, and seeing him fight a guy who was at the time perceived to be as equal. And will this bring out the prime Tyson? It was interesting, weren't it, the tale? Because in the first fight, we were feeling like Frank Bruno, he'd failed his attempts in becoming a world champion. So automatically you think, really, is he going to beat a prime Mike Tyson? And then you look at what was going on in Tyson's life around that time, 88 leading into the fight in 89. Tyson's life had just completely unraveled in front of the whole world's eyes. So if any time was right to fight Mike Tyson, that was the time. That was the time for Frank Bruno. But Bruno's fragilities as a fighter were what was always going to be his downfall, the same way he lost to Tim Witherspoon a few years prior. Now, these were issues that plagued him for his, from his career. And he was never going to be able to overcome those issues per se. However, he had the ability to give Tyson one of the most difficult nights of his life. And that first fight is, is remembered so fondly, even though Bruno loses and gets absolutely blasted away. There's a moment that British fight fans look at and remember fondly the moment where, you know, Frank Bruno was the first person really show them chinks in the Tyson armor and he rocked him and when he rocked him that's when I think people knew as fight fans in N89 that you know Tyson is not completely invincible there is a possibility this guy can be beaten even though people felt he was unbeatable and this was like a prelude to what was to come the following year fighting Buster Douglas but Mike Tyson was just too good for Frank Bruno, Frank Bruno didn't have the same chin Douglas did going into that fight. Douglas fought the fight of his life. Bruno's moment would come a few years later, which is what would lead into that second fight between the two of them. But going into that first one, the tale that surrounded it, the journeys that they were both on, going back on looking at it now, Luke, you kind of feel like a little bit sorry for Bruno because there was a moment there where I genuinely feel like he could have really been that Buster Douglas that upset the apple cart. Well, I think like there's a controversial boxing figure named Sam Jones, and he always referred to Frank Bruno as a gun without bullets. And I mean, there's no ever better example of that than looking at these kind of fights, especially the fight you're referring to because he was there. But not unlike what we talked about last week with Oscar De La Hoya. Frank Bruno is one of these figures where the world absolutely adored him, especially the UK. And he just never seemed to be able to win the big fight. And this is one of those moments where it's just like he could have been that guy. But for some reason, the man upstairs and fate didn't let him be that guy. That was until a certain 1995 at Wembley Stadium 
against Oliver McCall. That moment will live on because yes, it was Frank's moment. Yes, he was destined to win it at this point of his career. People forgot about that Buster Douglas loss. I think people were bought into the fact that Tyson was just this animal who, again, nobody was going to beat at this point. Leading up to that second fight, Frank Bruno literally had massive issues with one of his eyes. He'd had a previous detached retina, which nearly stopped him from even starting his career in 1980. And that had come back to haunt him. So he could have retired into fight Tyson again because they'd shared time together in the ring, because they'd shared time together outside of the ring. There was this good guy versus bad guy mantra about the fight. Like people didn't like Tyson, but they wanted to see him fight because he was destructive. People liked Bruno, but they always felt he wasn't good enough to, to beat Tyson. And that second fight proved that yet again, that Frank Bruno was past his best, even though in his previous fight, he'd won the world title. He wasn't at his best. He wasn't the best Frank Bruno. I think the best Frank Bruno was that first fight. That was Frank Bruno at his peak. And it sounds stupid to say it because he goes and beats Oliver McCall in, in a, in a hell of a performance. But when you think of a fighter who's got them fragilities as Frank Bruno did, you, you start to wonder to yourself, how the hell did he manage it? How the hell did he get through to the pinnacle of his career and win a world title and then manage to fight Tyson again? He didn't need to take the fight with Tyson. He didn't, but he did because there was this burning ambition inside of him that felt he do it. And we got that second fight and we got that secondary tale of how that all led up to it. So this was the one that I was referring to, which was a personal moment for me. And I mentioned it in the episode about the fact that this was the first big pay-per-view fight that I, I remember staying up for. Uh, I, I, I was into boxing at the time, but I was really a casual follower, if you like, because I was a child. But this was the one that really got me captivated in the sport. And it was from that moment onward that I never looked back. So it was a, a, a very nostalgic moment for me. So I'm handing this over to you now, really, to talk a little bit about, you know, your perception of the two fights and of Bruno and, of course, that time period for yourself and how it relates to the sport. Well, I'll start backwards, which is always great. I mean, this is a time where my grandparents had moved into a retirement community and they had the Cartoon Network and I'm about nine or ten years old and you can watch the Fantastic Four and all these shows I'd seen on or read about now there's episodic TV shows seemingly every hour of the day. So whenever I turn it on, it's like something's cool on Cartoon Network. And I swear I'm getting to a point. And then on every channel, it's Tyson versus McNeely. You could have it on Nickelodeon. You could have it on NBC. You could have it. Tyson versus McNeely was inescapable. So that was my first pay-per-view fight was that. Now, Tyson in 89, 90. I was too young to watch him. I vaguely remember my grandfather watching Tyson, but really all of those came down to a VHS tape I had at the house, which was like a mixtape of Tyson fights that I would throw on to be like, dude, he's the best. And he was kind of like a folk folklore hero, Tyson, kind of like Michael Jordan. If you said any astronomical feat of strength, oh, Mike Tyson could do it. Not unlike Michael Jordan. You pick a shot at a basketball court and you'd go, Oh, Michael Jordan can make that, right? They were they were beyond just an athlete. They were viewed as the pinnacle of just like the best at what they did. And when this fight came around with Bruno, 
for me, honestly, I was just all in on the Mike Tyson character. Like, I didn't know a ton, ton about Bruno. I knew he was famous in the UK, but it's like Mike Tyson is facing a guy and I am all in and I want him to get redemption in some capacity for Buster Douglas. And that's like in that moment, that's how I was on. It was anything Mike Tyson I'm watching, because if you remember, it's the Tupac rap song. And he had the wildest walkouts ever. Like people to this day don't have walkouts as cool as Tyson. Just seeing Ky- Tyson enter the ring, it was the closest thing to like entertainment that a ring walk has ever been. And that's what I remember was, okay, maybe this is a guy who's heralded enough. He's coming off a big win. Maybe he'll provide a true foe for Mike Tyson. But he just wasn't good enough. That was the thing. He wasn't good enough. Tyson had his number. Tyson was so destructive. And I think the intimidation factor that Tyson brought to the fights was something that always mentally was able to overshadow Bruno. And I think he was, I think Bruno, if I'm being honest, looking back on the show, looking back on the events, I think he was intimidated before he got into the ring. I think he loses them two fights with Tyson before he enters the ring. And when you watch the fights back, he's just fighting on survival, on instinct. And that is it. And Tyson just is like, you know, he's like the king of the jungle. He's like the lion in the jungle stalking his prey, you know. And you look at (laughs) Frank Bruno and I'm making the comparison to like a gazelle. Frank Bruno is like the gazelle and, you know, Mike Tyson's like the lion and he's just stalking, stalking and stalking. And he picks his moment and he, you know, human, you know, that sort of nature come to life in in a human form. It was crazy to, to look back on it. And and that's the sort of feeling it leaves me with. It's like, you know, Frank was survi- surviving. He was he was fighting on instinct. He was scared of Tyson. He says he wasn't. He maintains that he wasn't. But you can tell, looking back, anybody who, who, who studies psychology, you can see. You can see the body language is all there. Tyson just had that intimidation factor about him where many of his opponents were beaten before he, he got in the ring. And, Bruno was just another case of that, unfortunately. As, as big and as strong as he was and as hard as he could hit, that's just not enough in boxing. You've got to be 110% mentally on your game to be able to win such a huge fight. And I don't think Frank was. And I think that second fight just felt like he was trying to cash out. You know, he's partially blind in one eye, for God's sake. And he didn't need to take it. But he did. He took it. And... You know, I'm happy you did because that that pay-per-view, not only does it give me that moment in time in, in my boxing life, but it also provided a moment where we got to see the first female boxing match on a pay-per-view card in, featuring Christy Martin, which was another pivotal moment. So the whole event, the whole period of time was huge. For us in the UK, it was huge. We had the, we had the football, or should I say soccer, over here, you know, the European Cup was over here and it was held in England and England were in it and they did really, really well in the whole tournament. So the whole year, 1996 in general, was booming. The music in the UK was booming. So it was a big thing for us. It was more, I'd say it was more of a significant moment and year than it would you guys in America. Yeah, I mean, just looking at this undercard, you got Finito Lopez, Michael Carbajal, Christy Martin, Keith Holmes, and Mike Tyson versus Frank Bruno. I would take that in 2022 any day. I think that for anyone that didn't live through this, 
Mike Tyson, the spiritual and intellectual podcast host who smokes a lot of weed, who's basically like the boxing version of the Joe Rogan show. He was a very different guy when I was 10 years old and in 1996. And this was a guy that like you really didn't know what to expect at any moment. And that's why he was must see TV. That's why he carried the sport. That's why boxing has so many fans that are around our age because Mike Tyson was everywhere in the world. You couldn't escape his influence. And this was like with the lucky land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yet another time where it's like, okay, here's a seemingly really nice guy in Frank Bruno taking on a guy in Mike Tyson who's just a madman that I can't look away from. Yeah, a madman indeed. Certainly, he certainly was that. He was very much hyped, this animal, that he was. And it's funny because you look at what happens next for Tyson. He has that victory later on in the year in September against Bruce Selden, where he fights Holyfield. Systematically broken down by Evander Holyfield in their first fight. And then obviously, 97 comes, the bite fight happens. And subsequently then from that moment, Tyson's career goes down the pan. And he has mediocre fight after mediocre fight. He finally takes Lennox Lewis on in 2002, way past his best. And for his, I think for me, the last great moment of Mike Tyson's career was him recapturing the world title. For me, that was the last great moment of his career. I think for me, the last Tyson moment would be when he beat Lou Savarese, but that was probably just like a personal anecdote for me. But like Tyson was one of these guys where it's like, it felt like all the chaos imploded on him and never felt like the skills gave way. It just felt like there was just too much stuff and it ended with the biting of Holyfield. And then you know how genius reporters are. They're just going to mess with him and prompt him to say wild stuff. And it became more about what crazy thing is Mike Tyson going to do rather than what the in-ring performance was. And I think in certain ways, he kind of bought into the theatrics of that more so than the fighting. 
And that became the Tyson experience. Whereas guys like Lennox Lewis and some of these other guys went on a more athletic journey to try to kind of capture these titles while Tyson was kind of more of a, a spectacle. I think that's a good way of assessing it. A spectacle is what he certainly was. When he came over to the UK in 2000 and fought Julius Francis, it was wild. It was crazy. He'd never seen scenes like that for a fighter in the UK. You know, he brought that magnetism, that spectacle, his circus to the UK. So yeah, he still had that swing and that pull about him. But it was at this moment when he beat Frank Bruno for that WBC title where I feel that was the crest of the second wave of his career because after that moment he just wasn't as significant you know he, he comes back he proves to everybody that he can recapture a world title after being in prison and then from that moment on it's just very patchy it's a very patchy affair throughout the next six to, to eight years that he was that he was carrying on in the rink and and then obviously he loses to some mediocre fighters who he could have easily destroyed in his heyday so it was it was a sad state of affairs really i think this for me was the last big moment for tyson in his career in terms of his actions inside of the ring his you know his dominance inside of the ring because holyfield just dismantled him frustrated him couldn't he couldn't be holyfield was the bogeyman for tyson he couldn't do anything he couldn't do what he needed to do in the ring against him so after that it's just all downhill for Mike. So that's why I think it's significant. It's significant because you get the good guy versus the bad guy. You get the guy who seemingly will never win a world title, but does go on to win one, then defends it against the baddest man on the planet who easily dispatches of our hero and then rides that wave for another few months before eventually he just becomes that spectacle again, more so than, you know, appreciating for his fighting skills. So, you know, I think it's significant. You lo we lose Bruno. Bruno gets destroyed. So I think it is, like, again, it's another pivotal moment in, in the storytelling aspect of it is that when we stop our story at this moment in time, like we've said on this episode, you look at what happens next for both of them. Frank retires. Mike goes on. Loses to Holyfield. The bite fight happens. He fights some mediocre opponents. Looks all right against them. Loses to Lennox Lewis, loses to Danny Williams in the UK. You know, that, that, that's, that's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous what, what goes on there in his career. I think the big thing for me with Tyson is the second act wasn't ever really that enjoyable in hindsight, but it, what sticks with me is I, in the pandemic, I watched a lot of Tyson. I basically watched every one of his fights. I watched all of it, especially when there's no sports. And very early in his career, he kept speaking of he wanted a 20-year pro career. And it really feels like after Holyfield, he's just trying to get to that number of 20 because he really did have a 20-year career. That's something he spoke to very early in his career. And I think that Holyfield, Mike Tyson, felt like it was a really dirty fighter. And I think that he got very annoyed in the second fight. He felt like, I'm having a hard fight. This guy's headbutting me a lot. And I think that there was a lot of suspicions that Holyfield might have been using performance-enhancing drugs. And I think that he felt like, oh my God, I'm having a cut over my face. I'm going to have another grueling fight. It's I'm living my nightmare, and he snapped. And it, unfortunately, the way he snapped in the fight was so dramatic, he was never able to not live that moment, you know, because it was, it was a 
whenever you're the first in doing something that's wrong, it's like you're going to forever be defined as the guy that made that mistake for the rest of your career. And it feels like Tyson biting Holyfield's ear, that was going to sum up every action of his second act, no matter if he went on and won three world titles. Well, this is what we've kind of come to an agreement on really is, is how that all played out for him. But the point of the episode really for us was it was to tell a tale of a good guy versus essentially a bad guy and how for, for these moments in, in time, you know, the, the world were captivated. We were captivated, you know, as, as fight fans, they were captivated by the possibility of a legit guy in Frank Bruno being able to topple the supposedly prime Mike Tyson. And then the guy that comes out of prison in 95 into 96, who's coming back looking like an animal. The question then remains, can he be a world champion again? Well, yeah, he proves it, doesn't he? So there's like so many different variables to that episode about what's going on in Tyson's life, his career. You know, we told stories of how he ends up getting convicted of rape and all the, the stuff that surrounds that. What happens when he comes out of prison? Obviously, Frank Bruno's issues inside and outside of the ring. So, you know, we really enjoyed putting that whole story together. This episode, really, for, for people listening, is just to kind of give our own thoughts and feelings and you know what we felt about what was going on at the time and how it affected us and what we perceived it to be. So it's, I'm glad that we've got the opportunity to do this and actually be able to sort of hash out, you know, what we kind of think the impact of these fights were. Well, I think the big thing for me, and like I always try to think of things as a historical context. And to me, it feels like Frank Bruno, without Frank Bruno, there's no Anthony Joshua because he laid the spiritual foundation for what Anthony Joshua became. And I think also like the fact that Bruno didn't achieve what Joshua did made Joshua's achievements mean more and validate him more. Even though there was a guy like Lennox Lewis, I feel like Frank Bruno always had some connection with the fans. Lewis never did. And in some way, Bruno, it's like Bruno, Anthony, Joshua. And that's, am I right or wrong in seeing that parallel? No, I think you're right. I think the public warm to Anthony Joshua because he was an Olympian because he won gold. People automatically warm to him as the savior for British boxing in the heavyweight division. And then I think the parallels in terms of their fighting style were, were quite evident as time went on through Joshua's career. As we've seen when he gets hit and he's very static, when he's not as lateral, you know, he gets hurt and yeah, he, he has that sort of Frank Bruno-esque issue with you know, the susceptibility of being able to take a punch and be able to recover from that punch in the way that Bruno couldn't either. And I think Anthony Joshua's shown us that, hasn't he, really? You look at the Klitschko fight, you look at the fact that Andy Ruiz absolutely dismantles him, Alexander Usyk has beaten him. And I think you kind of start to feel now, and I know I, I have felt that recently, as ever since he fought Dillian White for the British title in 2015, when he was rocked for the first time, that's when I started to think, I've got a feeling about Joshua that maybe the, you know, he could end up being like the Frank Bruno. And I suppose people relate Frank Bruno to him because of his physicality, because he's ripped. He doesn't look like, you know, a stereotypical heavyweight. He, you know, he looks really chiseled. Frank Bruno was always very chiseled. He looked that way. He looked like a bodybuilder. People say Joshua looks like a bodybuilder. And I think that's where all the parallels and comparisons come from. But as time's gone on, 
you started to see more and more of them appear, especially when it comes down to the adverse moments in Joshua's career. I mean, the Joshua moment for me that scared me was Joe Parker because it was like Joe Parker was doing a very simple thing to him, pumping a jab, and Joshua was unable to transfer his offense into defense. And I'm like, this is a big boo-boo. And I think that that's kind of, if we want to make another comparison in the second fight, what Tyson did well was he transitioned his defense to offense. What did Bruno do? He'd punch and then he'd just be like, oh, I got to be defensive. And that's kind of, I think that's always kind of that flaw of the guy who's not quite the Hall of Famer is they never can quite transition offense into defense. A great way of assessing the whole situation, to be honest. I've enjoyed sitting down and, and talking about these two fights and these two moments and the time periods and our own personal memories of them. And I hope everybody has enjoyed listening to this episode. And, you know, if you've got any thoughts or feelings or even opinions about what you think about Tyson and Bruno in 89 and then 96, and what do you think about Mike Tyson's career after that point and the, the parallels between Joshua and Bruno, I think it'd be great to hear from you. You can let us know on social at Legend Night Pod on Twitter or the BTR Boxing Podcast Network. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube pages, channels. You can find us on there to do that. I've enjoyed this, Luke. Have you got any final thoughts? No, I just like coming on. You know, I'm half-baked research. Just say stuff. It's pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, we value your opinions. We value your insights. And everybody that's not already tuned in to you can do that on ITR Boxing's YouTube channel. All the weekly stuff that you're putting out there, interviews that you're doing, having some great guests on the show. You're a great absolutely fantastic co-host on this show so it's it's a pleasure having you on and thank you so much as always for coming on and that's it for everybody else thank you so much for listening we hope you've enjoyed the after show for the tale of tyson versus bruno Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.